Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Well, hello. And believe it or not, this is Dr. Jim Morrow, and I do appreciate you listening to another episode of our podcast. It has been three months and two weeks since I did a podcast and I got in a really good rhythm of doing two a month and three week, three months ago, things changed in my life and my wife's life. And for the last three months, we've been doing something else, but we are back to living life and hopefully moving forward. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my wife Peggy was in a horrific car accident three months ago, October 26th, it was. And she's just been through hell, and I'll talk about what all she's gone through with her permission as we move along through these episodes. But basically, uh, she was in a wreck, spent a total in four different trips of about a month in the hospital, and she is now better, and I can concentrate on other things besides that. And I'm glad to be able to, because frankly, mentally, it's a good idea for anybody that's in that situation to find an outlet. And I think this is going to be a good one. So once again, I'm here in my uh, office studio and my producer, John Ray is in his home studio. I believe it is today. Looks like, yep. Judging from the blurry background on zoom here and John, how are you? You know what? I'm doing great. This is a wonderful day. We're all back together. <laughs> we we are. I mean, and it does feel like a wonderful day. Yeah, I mean, because uh, it, it's a milestone for Peggy's progress, right? Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is. And uh, I've missed seeing you and and joking with you and making fun of you. And you got a haircut, <laughs> though. I do believe. Of course, I did too. I've got almost none left, but you got a lot of hair. But you got it cut. It looks good. Thank you. I like it. Thank yeah. you. Well, I mean, you know, I'm I, I'm trying to keep everything just right. Until you got back. John's wearing a road construction colored hoodie. It looks really nice there. I like that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. And uh, John Ray does an incredible job with this podcast. And I'm just real glad to be associated with him and uh, North Fulton Business Radio X. It's been a great thing. So getting back to what we've, we know that you've come here for, which is not to hear us just chat, but I've tried over the last couple of years to talk about topics that were pertinent for the moment, pertinent in the time and the season and so forth. Uh, I don't have a lot to talk about as far as the, the pandemic today, which is really becoming closer and closer to being endemic, which means it's here to stay and not the threat it was, uh, except to say that if you're at risk and you get COVID, please call your doctor and see about getting on the oral medication that there is for COVID because it's a good medicine. And that's really about all I've got for that. And I'm full up to here on COVID anyway. So that's a good, pretty good plan. But since it is the end of January, uh, still in the heat of winter, I don't think we've had a pretty day here in about six weeks. I want to talk about wintertime infections things that come up during the winter that we all face, some of them severe, some of them not, some of them treatable, some of them, frankly, not. Um, but the first one, of course, is a common cold. <clears throat> Everybody's had one. They are actually caused by coronaviruses, interestingly enough, but not the ones that cause COVID. 
Uh, and everybody's, everybody's had a cold. You get a, a scratchy throat, sneezing, watery eyes, maybe some low-grade fever. Your throat hurts. You get hoarse. You're tired. Your head hurts and that kind of thing. Typically, you get a watery sort of discharge from your nose that very often thickens and turns yellow or green, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. And these things start a couple of days, usually after you are exposed to some virus and the virus enters your system and starts to cause an infection. It can look like other problems, but just because you get this thick green stuff doesn't mean you have a bacterial sinus infection. So don't rush out and feel the need to get on an antibiotic because hopefully your physician is a little bit more judicious with that kind of thing now than before the pandemic, because we've learned an awful lot. And some people will have symptoms like this, and they actually have a little higher fever and have a little worse cough, worse headache, body aches, and they might actually have influenza. But a cold and the flu are not the same thing. They're different. They're very, very different. A cold's relatively harmless in the majority of people, usually clears up by itself. Sometimes it can lead to a secondary infection if you have a cold and you build up fluid behind the eardrum, especially if you're a smaller child or younger person. If you build up fluid there, then you can have bacteria make its way up through the eustachian tube and into that fluid and cause a bacterial ear infection. That's a different sort of thing. And the flu can also lead to other things, more serious things usually, like pneumonia. Uh, people die from the flu. People don't die from a common cold. But people do die from the flu, and usually when they do, it's because the infection causes so much fluid and debris, if you will, to build up in their lungs that they end up with pneumonia, and they can't tolerate that because of usually other things they have going on. They're old or immunocompromised or have heart disease or uncontrolled diabetes and so forth, so their immune system doesn't fight these things off, and it can actually kill you. So you want to be careful about that. You want to be sure that if you have something like a an upper respiratory infection, so it's a common cold or maybe the flu, you want to be sure that if you're getting worse, you're not ignoring that. How many times on this podcast have I said, don't ever say the five most dangerous words in the English language, which are, maybe it will go away. You can't do that. So you give things a little time, but not a lot. And if you're not getting better, you seek help. And that's important. You know, the common cold's treated with fluids and maybe mucinex and that's about it, Tylenol, ibuprofen, if you need it for body aches. But really, it's a matter of uh, staying well hydrated and not overdoing so your immune system is strong enough and there's enough energy left in your system to fight this thing off. And that's really what it boils down to, really. Everything else about a cold is symptomatic treatment. There's not a prescription for a cold. There's not a medicine. You can call me and say, I got a cold, and I'll say, oh, we'll go take this, and you'll get well. It doesn't work that way. You'll get well because time passed. And with the flu, with the flu, there is medicine you can take for influenza. Tamiflu is the brand name of the medicine out there. It's twice a day for five days. I'm not a big Tamiflu fan. I don't write much Tamiflu because even the people that make it say that the Tamiflu will probably cut one day off of the course of the flu. And I don't, I just don't see that that's worth it. Uh, it's, it's okay to take, it's not harmful. Uh, it used to be expensive now it's generic. So it's not such a big deal, but I, I just think that's a, a pretty crappy track record to be frank. And then when you get 
lower in the respiratory tract, you get past the cold and flu part, people may very well have uh, bronchitis, not pneumonia, bronchitis. And bronchitis is the original nuisance. It's just a real pain in the neck because bronchitis is not a severe illness. It makes you feel horrible. You might cough with every other breath. You're exhausted. You create a lot of mucus. But bronchitis is most often a viral infection also. So antibiotics don't do a lot for bronchitis. Uh, it's a condition of inflammation in the bronchial tubes. Itis means inflammation. So it's inflammation in the bronchial tubes. And you can treat it with antibiotics. You can treat it with steroids. You can treat it with tap water. And it's going to take about the same period of time for it to get better. It just takes a long time. And part of the problem is it causes such a, a aggravating cough and, and obnoxious cough that the cough and the rapid movement of air irritates your bronchial tubes. That irritation in the bronchial tubes makes you produce a little extra mucus and that makes you cough. And that irritates your bronchial tubes and makes you cough, it irritates your bronchial tubes and makes you cough. And it, you get what I'm saying here. It's just a vicious cycle. So it takes a long time sometimes for bronchitis to get better. Symptoms of bronchitis are lower in the chest, uh, some congestion, maybe, maybe some wheezing. Uh, that's not unheard of. And again, a lot of times you get a discolored mucus, but you can easily get this wheezing sound, a rattling sound, a squeaking sound, if you will, when you're taking deep breaths. And it's important, again, to be sure that if you've got symptoms like that, you're paying attention to your overall health. Uh, these days, so many people have an oxygen uh, machine, an oximeter that measures your oxygen level on your finger. You know, if that starts to get below 92.3%, you need to be really considering getting seen by somebody. If you're an old smoker, and you don't have to be an old smoker, but if you've been smoking for a while, then you're at higher risk of something other than plain old bronchitis, whether it might be pneumonia, uh, might be other things, but you want to really be aware of your risk factors. And smoking is probably the number one risk factor uh, with things like bronchitis turning into something else. And bronchitis is diagnosed by the fact that you don't seem to have anything else. It's uh, negative for flu, negative strep. Uh, negative chest x-ray, if you even get one, most people probably wouldn't. Um, and your exam's fairly normal, except with a deep breath, you cough a lot. And that's pretty much what bronchitis is. Uh, I mentioned Mucinex earlier. I like Mucinex a lot. I recommend it all day, every day, seems like. And it's important if, you're, if you have something like this and you're developing this mucus to take something like Mucinex because all it does is thin that mucus out so it doesn't get caught and plug up a bronchial tube or a, an ear tube or a sinus opening and you end up with a bigger problem. So mucinex, anytime you have a respiratory condition or respiratory illness, mucinex is a great thing to be taking twice a day on a regular basis and just pound in the liquids. If you do those things, you'll get past the majority of these respiratory illnesses without a great deal of difficulty. One thing about smokers is that the heat from the cigarettes inactivates the cilia. Cilia are little hairs on your bronchial tubes that constantly are beating in an upward fashion, almost like a field of wheat. If you look at a field of wheat and the way the wind blows across it, and you can see this uh, wave of movement, cilia and your bronchial tubes do that on an upward fashion to sweep mucus 
out of your lungs. And smoking inactivates those cilia. They don't do that. So the, the mucus just sits there and can collect. So if you end up with an infection like this, that mucus is more copious. It's thicker. It's more of a problem. It's not getting moved out by itself, and you'll have more of a cough. And that mucus is a real risk of you ending up with something worse than what you would have had if you didn't if you didn't smoke. If you quit smoking, that that cilia starts to work again within several weeks, and it'll start cleaning things out of your lungs that have been in there for years and years and years, and and you'll breathe a lot better and cough a lot less once that stuff gets out of there. So, if you're smoking, quit. That's a podcast right there in itself, John. If you're smoking, quit. I like that. <laughs> there you go. I may have to, I may have to do that. I could do several of those at that at that length. And then you come to pneumonia. Okay, if you go on down the respiratory tree, get into the actual air sacs in the lungs, that's where you get pneumonia. It's an infection that occurs in the air sacs of the lungs. Now, I'll I'll see people on Monday morning repeatedly who will say to me, "Ooh, I had pneumonia this weekend." I go, really? That's oh, that's short. It's kind of unusual. Yeah, I had fever and a cough, had some pneumonia. Well, I'm not sure it was pneumonia. Yeah, yeah, I could feel it in my chest. had fever and some mucus in here. That pneumonia is bad, <laughs> I guarantee you. If you ever have pneumonia, you will see the difference because it is not gone in a weekend. It can last and last and last because you, you do literally get mucus and pus, if you will, in the air sacs of your lungs. So if you think about how the lungs work, you breathe air in, it gets into the air sacs. The air sacs are lined with blood vessels that that take oxygen out of the air into the vessels and into your body. If those air sacs have fluid in them now of any kind, you can't get that blood into your body. So your blood level falls and your energy level falls, your ability to fight off things fall. Pneumonia is a big deal. You get cough, you get fever, uh, difficulty breathing, chest pain. Usually when you breathe or cough, you can have hard shaking chills. It can be a very, very significant infection. But you'll hear people talk about walking. Walking pneumonia is really a, it's a terrible term in my opinion. It's a mild case of infection in the lungs that does not give you all this fluid in the air sacs, and to me, because of that, it's not true pneumonia. People refer to it, a lot of doctors refer to it as an atypical pneumonia. Incredibly mild is really what it is, and you can treat it just about as well with tap water as you can with antibiotics, but most of the time we'll put somebody that has something like this on an antibiotic that will treat the more unusual organisms other than the usual staph and strep that might cause plain old pneumonia. But the most common cause of plain old pneumonia is bacteria, a different group of bacteria. There are several different ones. There's more than you can count, basically. You can also have viral pneumonia. You can have fungal pneumonia. But you're not going to get a fungal pneumonia if you don't have some underlying problem with your immune system or your health in general. That just basically doesn't happen. And then you can have aspiration pneumonia, and that happens Usually, if you're in a very debilitated state, you may have had a stroke, you may be bedridden, and when you uh, eat, the food sometimes will go down into your lungs instead of down into your esophagus and stomach, and that obviously is a problem because that's not supposed to be there, and it's a way to set up infection and so forth, and that can be very, very significant. 
But the different types of pneumonia are multiple and they are varied and they are diagnosed different ways and they're treated different ways. So if you have symptoms of shortness of breath, cough, fever, chest pain, get seen by a doctor. Don't sit around waiting, thinking this is a cold because those aren't symptoms of a cold. Those are symptoms of something more than that. You know, you, you might need a chest X-ray to be definitive. You can make the diagnosis just on exam. If you listen to the lungs and you have good air here and not good air here, you can make a presumptive diagnosis that where you don't have good air is because you got fluid and that's pneumonia. So it's important to make that distinction. People who are more prone to pneumonia, I mentioned debilitated states, that's certainly true. Older people, uh, people in unhealthy environments, whether they work or live in an unhealthy environment with a lot of dust and chemicals, smoke, again, to get back to that, uh, lifestyle with smoking and stuff, plus your immune system. If your immune system is either not working well or you've been taking medications that make it not work well, like chemotherapy, or if you're busy fighting off some other infection and your immune system's busy over here working on this, it might let pneumonia slide in the back door and cause a, a problem that way. So you have to, you know, look at the entire patient and not just the symptoms that they're having because the same symptoms can be different diseases and conditions in different people. There's no question about that. Now, the good thing is you can prevent pneumonia in some cases. Uh, sometimes you can't. If you just run into somebody that has pneumonia and they cough on you and you end up with that bacteria, you can end up with community-acquired pneumonia. And that's just something that you got because you lived in the world. But you also might get pneumonia because you smoke, because you aren't taking care of yourself and so forth. But to prevent it, you do things like get a flu vaccine. You don't get pneumonia after the flu if you get a flu shot in most cases. There's a vaccine for pneumonia, and it's a vaccine that prevents specific pneumonias, some of the worst, and that's a very good thing worth avoiding. You know, you don't smoke. You avoid sick people. You avoid unhealthy environments. You take care of yourself in general, and you're a lot less likely to end up with pneumonia and the problems that go along with it. And one of the problems with the pneumonia is pneumonia can actually scar your lungs and make you more prone to get pneumonia again. And it's very easy to get into a vicious cycle where you uh, can have pneumonia multiple times because your lungs never really healed from the very first one. Things you can do to feel better if you get one of these upper resp one of these respiratory, not just upper, but one of these respiratory infections, is drink plenty, get plenty of rest, and avoid excessive activity. You have to give yourself a chance to heal because if you don't give yourself a chance to heal, then you're just going to end up with a, a long-term problem. And you, you can end up with some horrible complications from pneumonia. There's a, a condition called empyema, which is a condition where around your lung, you get basically pus collected and just large sometimes amounts of fluid collected around your lung and inside your lung. And it, it just, it takes up a lot of oxygen carrying capacity. Uh, it takes a long time to get over it. And it's one of the things that happens to people that have pneumonia and don't take care of it and don't do as they should because it, it can just really be terrible. 
but you're not going to get over it on a weekend. I can promise you that. So other things, uh, wintertime infections. Let's see, you might have uh, some people are still getting whooping cough. I should say they're getting it again. Uh, when I was a young person, I uh, had vaccines that had a combination of tetanus, diphtheria, and whooping cough or pertussis in the vaccine. And I think everybody thought at the time when I was young that if you got this series of these vaccines, you never had to worry about whooping cough again. And what we're learning is that that immunity really isn't lifelong. And once you get to be old, like I am now, uh, late 60s and stuff, you can easily run out of immunity for whooping cough. Well, whooping cough in an adult is not the end of the world. Uh, It's uh, a fever and a cough and maybe some shortness of breath and so forth, but it's not terrible in an adult. But in a small person, young person, it can be very, very significant. And so it's become a lot more important in recent years because it's a real problem for newborns. When a baby's born, they get their first whooping cough shot at age two months. They get them at two, four, six, I think 12 and 15 months. They probably changed that schedule since I did pediatrics. It's been a minute. But nonetheless, for the first two months, they don't have immunity against whooping cough, except what they might have gotten from mom. So if you've got granddaddy over here who has whooping cough and thinks he has a cold and comes to see the baby, the baby can get whooping cough from granddaddy, and that can be horrible in a newborn. So what we're seeing now is the expectant mother's aren't going to let grandparents in the same zip code as their kid if they haven't had an updated whooping cough vaccine. So whooping coughs, uh, it's a virus, so it's not the easiest thing to treat. There's no medication that just makes it go away like an antibiotic, but it is avoidable. And it's very important once you, I'm going to say 50, once you get to be 50, it's very important that you're every 10 years are getting this vaccine that includes whooping cough. I think that's very important because you could just be at a restaurant and give it to a newborn. Lord knows people take brand new babies out into restaurants all the time. That blows my mind. But they do it, and you don't need to be the reason that some baby got whooping cough because it can be devastating. And then there are myriad other respiratory infections and wintertime infections that people get. But most of the infections that you're going to hear about, you're going to have, that you're going to see people having are some form, some version of what I've talked about. It's something that goes from the upper respiratory tract, either alone or including down in the lower respiratory tract. It's important to pay attention to symptoms. It's important to Admit when you're feeling worse. This is, of course, more important in men because they're terrible about that. But women as well, anybody that's sick with some illness, if you're getting worse, you have to be willing to say, okay, this is what I'm doing here is not working. I need to go and get something else done. Okay, so you call your primary care provider, you call your family physician, and you say, look, I need to see somebody because I've got this. I've had it for five days and I'm getting worse in this way. I think it's important because like I said, you don't want to ignore things. It's how people get into serious trouble. It's the, one of the leading causes of 
morbidity, which is to say illness in general, uh, that we see because it's so very common. Uh, if you're if you're careful and you're uh, diligent about treating this kind of thing, you stay well hydrated, take your mucinex, and and pay attention to your symptoms. Most of these things won't be a big problem. But if you're getting sicker, you got to tell somebody. Never say maybe it will go away. And if you're smoking, stop. I think I covered that twice, John. And that's pretty much what I've got on wintertime infections. I did did not realize how much I had missed discussions about uh, fungal pneumonia and thick mucus. I did not realize how much. You know, I'm just a lot, a lot of fun at a dinner party. Boy, you, yeah, you really, you really light them up, don't you? Um, <laughs> well, um, that said, we've got questions here. So, um, oh, wonderful. Yeah. I so, questions. Yeah. I, I miss questions. John. Well, I miss that. Well, and there's folks that have missed your answers. So, um, so here's one. Um, where, what role does diet play in, the uh, wintertime infections and being able, you know, preventative diet measures. Yeah. Um, Directly not a great deal, except to say that people who are grossly overweight are more prone to illness. And and also a lot of times we'll tell people who are starting to get any sort of respiratory symptoms in order to keep the mucus thinner, stay away from milk and orange juice. Um hydration is much more important than solid foods when you're sick and trying to get better. Um, but other than that, I don't know that I could say that diet specifically has a lot to do with it. Uh, it would probably just be those things. Now, hold on here. Stay away from orange juice. I thought we, we were supposed to have our good old vitamin C out of orange juice. You know, Linus Pauling, a hundred years ago or so, I don't know when it was, did some studies and he found that people who uh, took large amounts of vitamin C didn't get the common cold so much. That's been bannered about my entire life, and I don't know that it's ever been really proven. Uh, Vitamin C does not help get rid of a cold. If it has a role, it's in prevention. And I just really can't tell you that I have any strong sense whatsoever that it's going to actually help prevent a cold. The main thing that helps prevent a cold is not being exposed to somebody that has a cold. Okay, that covers vitamin C. But I think um, I was really hoping you would have some comments about barbecue and how barbecue helps <laughs> helps everything. But Listen, I, 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 let I, me tell you, yeah, barbecue prevents bad things. Okay, that's just that's the way it is. Bar- the more barbecue you eat, the less likely you are to have bad things happen to you. Okay, okay. Uh, and, and I know my patients who I preach to about their cholesterol will love hearing that. Well, I'm one of them, so <laughs> I'm <laughs> delighted to hear that news. Uh, so we've got another question about, and maybe this is a whole episode too. I think we were talking about this along the way sometime. RSV. Yep. You have any comments about RSV and what 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 folks need to know about that? RSV or respiratory syncytial virus 
is one of the most common types of respiratory infections, especially in very young kids. And I don't do a lot of peds anymore, so I didn't even, didn't even bring that up. But it is a very significant infection. There's vaccines now for RSV. Uh, there actually are some viral antiviral treatments for RSV. Uh, it it's one of those things that can be very mild or very severe, kind of depending on the the viral load and the particular person and the situation. Mm. Uh, RSV is a very long lasting sort of respiratory thing. It's typically not a pneumonia as much as it is an inflammation in the bronchial tubes, but it can make anybody that has it very, very miserable. Uh, it's a terrible thing to have, but we don't see it in our practice much, if ever, uh, because we just don't do a lot of peds. Got it. Got it. Well, I, I think there was, uh, I think, I think that was part of the question coming at us here was whether that was adults were susceptible to it. And I think you answered the question. So they, they are, but not in large numbers, not in a bad way. Okay. Got it. That's what we've got other than, other than a bunch of welcome back messages. Well, I am just so thankful to be back and be doing the podcast. I'm going to use Peggy's experience to come up with some topics. I got about nine from her experience that we could talk about. Um, I want to thank every single person for all the prayers and the wonderful thoughts and cards and notes, uh, comments and, and people that have reached out during these three months to me and Peg both. Uh, that's been just an, an incredible thing. We are both so very, very blessed and we do know it. Uh, and I appreciate every single one of you. If I have not, or if we have not reached out to you, uh, it's only because there's so very many of you and we appreciate every single one of you. So thank you so much for helping us get past this. And, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, finishing, uh, 2023 in a gigantic way and being better than ever. So John, I appreciate you peg. Thanks for getting better. And for now that's to your health.